But for those of us who are here in this 9 o'clock hour, there is something that Brother Jerry mentioned that a minute ago that has just really been working in my heart. And I don't know whether it's that the, <clears throat> that the Lord is getting me ready to go um, or whether it's just that it is uh, it's one of those themes, one of those subjects that as the Lord's people, we need to keep freshly in front of us. It's where we're all headed if we know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That place called heaven. That, that place called the, the Father's house. Now I want to, this will just be, um, you know, a simple Bible study this morning. I, I, I may get a little wound up. By the time I tell you, I'm going to just, be, I'm going to, contain myself and be, be, be calm about it, then I, then I just end up, something just comes off the page and just is fire in my heart and I have to holler and sweat a little bit and spit and, you know, you <laughs> but we'll see how this goes this morning, okay? But I want to, I want to offer to you six, six amazing facts about that place called heaven. Now, that's another problem I run to about the time I list all six, that we're going to talk about six, I may get to 1.5, and then we're wondering, then we're wondering what happened to the rest of them, but at least that's, that's working in my heart. Uh, just as a prelude to this or a preface, um, right now in a, in a medical facility in our, in our city, Lida Smith's mother, uh, known to her friends and family as Sid, is just at, looks as if it's at the, the final stages of her life. She's up into her 90s. She's lived a long, full life, knows the Lord. Uh, but Lida, who is responsible for and shepherds our women's ministry and been with us for many, many years, married to Jerry Smith, Lida has been walking through that season with her mom, as, as a number of you would know what that can be like. And heaven is at the forefront when there's someone you care about and you, you, you can see more than likely the days, earthly days drawing to, to a close. Where, 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 where's mama going to be? What, what, what's it going to be like where she's going or, or your dad? I, you know, my, my father will be 90 his next birthday, October the 5th, and he has been bravely battling prostate cancer that has metastasized in some other parts of his body and, and uh, grateful that he's not been in any pain. And, and um, you know, some days he'll say, I, I, feel, I feel pretty good. Other days it's a, it, it's a struggle. And, and I know my, my preacher daddy who taught me so many things about the Lord and looking toward heaven and the reality of that place called heaven. I I know and he knows that, that should the time come for him to step into that, that realm we call eternity that's, that's already settled and certain for us who put our trust in Jesus, he, he, he's, he's ready to go. And the Lord, the Lord could heal Lida's mom, the Lord could heal my dad, the Lord could heal those that you may be concerned about and raise them up and we'll give the Lord praise. But you know... The greatest healing of all 
the one that is final, the one that means we'll never have to ask the Lord for another healing is when he blesses us with that place called the Father's house. And he blesses us with that place called heaven. So with that in mind, I, I want you to, to just walk with me through some sections of Scripture this morning. And, and you may want to jot these down. You may be familiar. They may be readily handy to you in, in, your, in, in your life. But, but maybe, maybe they won't be. Here, here, are the, here are the six truths about heaven. Number one, how close is heaven? Number two, how quick is heaven? Number three, how different is heaven? Four, how familiar is heaven? Number five, and we could go for about three lifetimes on this from the scripture, how wonderful is heaven? How full of wonder is heaven? And then number six, well, how do you get there? No. How do you get there? I want you to find the book of Hebrews, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12. As we attempt to answer the question, let the Bible answer the question for us. How close? How close is heaven? How close is heaven? This is a passage that in centuries before us, before there were a lot of graphic, uh, beautiful images, photographs or paintings or, or music that could be recorded and shared, this, this section of Scripture, particularly verse 1, came to be and is repeatedly spoken of when you read the lives of, of great Christians, great lovers of the Lord in the 1500s and the 1600s and 1700s because they thought that it spoke of the nearness of heaven. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is fixed before us. That they would take it to mean that this description of heaven, and we're not sure who the writer of Hebrews is. Some suggest it probably was Paul, but it's not signed by Paul, as would be indicated in all of his other letters. We're not, there are some other suggestions who it might be. But whoever the writer was, he had the sense that whatever heaven, wherever heaven was, it didn't mean that the people in heaven were a million, gazillion, trillion miles away and completely oblivious because of their so, being so disconnected to our lives and what we would be facing, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, now the, you know, the tense of the verbs are important. But since we, we have right now, not we will have one day or we did have back yonder, but we have as our present possession so great 
a cloud of witnesses. There's so many of them that it's hard to distinguish faces in the crowd. It's a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses meaning ones who have their own story to tell about Jesus. Ones who have their own their own book they could write or their own testimony that they could relate of the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God and the power of God and the strength of God in their lives. Have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. That, that word, that word to, uh, to surround it means in, in, in the literal translation to lie all around or to encircle or enclose. Now, we, we can't see them. We, you know, now there'll be, there, there will be stories told. And I, I may have, and I'm sure I have over the years here, pointed out a few of these, these deathbed revelations or visions that, that ones that you, you know, you know they're, they know the Lord and they've loved him for a long time. <clears throat> but at the, at the moment of death, it's as if they're, they're able to see into that other dimension and start calling the names of a father who may have gone on before them years and years. Mothers of children and the children have preceded her in death, being able to call the name of, look with such delight and, and, and joy into that other dimension. Into that other place. It's, it's as if... It's as if they're right there. Now, we'll go on to find out that heaven is a real place. Yes, absolutely it is. But we have to be careful that when we start trying to define and figure out and quantify and qualify this, this other whole dimension of the Father's house and what eternity really is like, we got to be careful that we, we draw the, 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 the square too tight. We, we look just with eyes that would make sense to us from what we know now. The good news is we are, whether we see them or not, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, ones who have borne witness of the very thing that we are charged with the responsibility as we engage in our conflict or run our race to bear witness of Jesus just as they did. So now we are called to do the same and it's the sense that they are surrounding us and we are to know that and that the sense of their presence should encourage us to faithfully go on in our walk and in our life. And that, that word, I want you to notice too, that it's translated race. I don't know why the English translators put the word race in here because every other place that Greek word, just about every other place that Greek word is found in the New Testament translated race. It's translated conflict or fight. Or struggle. Evidently, he's trying to show the image of that, that we're, we're on the track in the middle of this vast Colosseum and the stands are filled with ones watching our race. But it really is, it's a word that would be, that would be more, more akin to a gladiatorial contest. One's slugging it out, a, 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 a prize fight that when it comes our turn to enter the ring, that these ones that are surrounding us who have fought their own fight with their eyes on Jesus are encouraging us when our time comes for the conflict 
to keep our eyes on Jesus and to trust that he will able, be able to do for us as he did for those who have finished their race, who have finished the fight, finished the conflict. Amen. So how close is heaven? Closer than we can even imagine. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, how quick is heaven? How quick in the sense of how quick do we get there? Are we going to need to worry about going to some holding tank called purgatory? Or as the Eastern religions would say, you know, being absorbed back into by all sorts of incremental um, steps where the karma is somehow pulled off of you, stripped off of you. You know, you die as a human and you come back as a roach. And then you live for a little while as a roach and get some karma off of you, and then you come back as a, some other kind of bug or some other kind of animal or some other kind of whatever. Great, Scott, what, what, what joy is there in that, you know? And some folks, millions of people will sell their souls, give themselves to believing that that's how it is. In the face of all that, we have the message of what it means to fall asleep in Jesus. And that, that's how it's used in the New Testament. The death of a Christian is spoken of in temporary terms. They fall asleep in Jesus because the Scripture goes on to teach that that body that fell asleep even in death, that very body will be awakened one day. It's called the resurrection. Not to be in some strange form of, of, of life form, but to be some way or another the spirit of that person, the soul of that person has not been lost, has not, not been diminished. But in this new life, it's a, it's a fuller expression of everything that was in that person's life, but in the veiled form in a human sense. Well, we'll touch on that in a minute. But how, how, how quick, how, how, how quick is is heaven. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul would allude to, he, he didn't do an exhaustive systematic teaching on the subject of heaven. It was just something that was an underlying reality and an underlying place of hope for him and he would pass it on to the believers. So he, he will say, look at, at uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse uh, 1. And let me read down through some of this with you. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, speaking of our earthly physical body, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. Prepared us for what purpose? That that which is mortal will one day be swallowed up by unending, eternal, unchanging forever life. The one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave, us, gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Then verse 6, therefore being always of good courage, 
and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. But we are of, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be, and this is significant, absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home in the body or absent from the body in the presence of the Lord, to be pleasing to him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That word for absent means to vacate the body, to quit the body, and to find instantaneously, immediately, in the twinkling of an eye, our home in the presence of the Lord, our home in heaven. This, this, this business of, of there being some, some intermediate state where it, it's just, um, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're sort of in limbo, in between. I don't know where you get that in the New Testament. There, there will be some lines of, of Christian teaching that will try to, try to point that out, that there's, a, there's, there's some intermediate uh, holding room in between the place of death here and life in the presence of the Lord. As far as the Apostle Paul was concerned, <laughs> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And we'll accept Paul's word. Amen. All right, so how close, how quick, how different, how different is it going to be? In a, at the same time as we look at how different it's going to be, how similar things are going to be also is woven into those statements about what heaven is going to be like and our, uh, what we will be like in that place called heaven. I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. There's that word. Not dead, not bodies, but asleep. The bodies are asleep. Why? Because they're going to be raised again. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He was the first one asleep, the sleep of death, but raised to life by the power of the Lord. For since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all, all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Let's skip all the way down to verse 40, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another of the stars that differs from star and glory. So also, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Amen. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there was also a spiritual body. Down to verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, just flesh and blood, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Cemeteries will empty at the sound of the trumpet, empty of the bodies of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal, this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Even if you die, even if your, your body dies in the process of serving the Lord, it is not in vain because your body that served the Lord is going to be raised from the grave, raised to life again. Okay, <clears throat> now that's, so I guess, I guess what you, we all need to do right at this moment is just look at these hands that have been a part of our lives, a part of our bodies for all of these years. And those hands have accomplished things. Those hands have done things that have benefited us and others. But one day, these mortal hands are somehow, some way, going to cease to be perishable. And they will become imperishable. That they will no longer be mortal, but somehow, some way, immortal. But he doesn't just speak of the soul being eternal or the spirit being eternal. The Lord speaks of your body. Your physical body taking on the characteristics of immortality. And you know what? We have a picture of what that's going to be like. What it's going to be like when this physical body takes on the dimensions of the spiritual. Yet it still has characteristics of the physical. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. We're going to go from 1 Corinthians 15 back to Luke 24. To a couple of these accounts of Jesus resurrected. Jesus alive from the grave. Jesus 
the first fruits of those who slept. Notice some things about his presence, about his body, about what he was able to do. C.S. Lewis made the comment with regard to miracles. What are miracles? And his, his, his short line comment was, miracles are when the laws of earth are suspended by the laws of heaven. So that what God is doing in heaven and desires in heaven is caused to happen on this earth. Miracles are a glimpse of the daily operation, the new normal in glory. Jesus, not yet exalted to the right hand of his Father, that would come. But in the days before he was taken out of the earth, he was alive and he walked on this earth, raised from the dead for 40 days. During that time, and for specific reasons and for the design of God so that we could look at even the physical body of Jesus and get a glimpse of, get a picture of, get some hope filled up in our heart about what life in heaven is going to be like. Not just a bunch of hazy, spooky auras of a glow here and maybe a little sound there. Heaven was never spoken of in that way. Jesus being the first fruits of those raised from the dead was led by his father, was given the instruction to walk upon this earth so we could see what he was like raised from the dead. Now, I just really want you to just let this in. If you're, if you're concerned about ones that may have preceded you in death, that you love dearly, and, and, and we've all had those, those kind of, what, what are they doing? What are they like? Will we recognize them? Will they know me? Will we be able to converse? Will we be able to, in a sense, pick up where we left off? There'll be a lot of things left out of the discussion, I'm sure, when that happens. But, and so look at this. Behold, verse 13, Luke 24, 13. Behold, Two of them, two of the disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still. They just stopped, looking sad. One of them named Clopas, Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have, taken, have happened here in these days? And I just love this line from Jesus. And he said to them, what things? What things? 
Now, can we just hit the pause button right there and just kind of think about that a little bit? All of those things. It was bodily form. They knew it was a person. They didn't know who the person was. The person was able to walk. Didn't just fly. Walked. Caught up with them. Was able to hear what they were saying. And didn't tell them everything that he knew about what had gone on in Jerusalem that day. But was interested in hearing what they thought was interested in them, was interested in the circumstance that they found themselves in at that point in time. But as far as they were concerned, he looked completely normal. He didn't didn't look dead. He didn't look weak. He didn't look crippled. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. And and some women amazed us. Women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They, They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. Now, just think about that. He acted as though he would go for First thing, he says, what things? And now, I guess, after that discussion, he acts like he's going to go on further. There's something about personality here that's refreshing. That the Lord is embodying just a sense of freshness. And I use the word personality. He wasn't going to force himself on them. Don't you know who I am? Let me tell you about the cross. He let them be who they were. They were earthly. He was immortal. But the immortal was in touch with the mortal. The the, the supernatural was concerned with and patient with the natural. They urged him, verse 29, saying, stay with us. It's getting on toward evening. The day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. It gave them that they talked him into. I, I, folks, listen. Heaven is not going to be where we're just trying, sitting on some cloud somewhere, strumming on a harp or a lyre, and we're just quoting scripture or we're just singing. And, 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 and in a numb state of reality, we won't be. 
Jesus the first fruit of those that slept. The way that he engaged those he cared about. The way that he physically was able to do the things that he was able to do. Now watch what happens. And it came about, verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Didn't walk out the door, didn't climb through a window, didn't jump up through the roof. He just, he just, he just vanished. He was there. He could talk. But the limitations of this old, cruel, hard world had no jurisdiction over him or his body whatsoever. When he was done, he just was able to leave. But he stayed as long it was, as it was necessary for him to be there to meet the needs and answer the questions and, 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 and explain things to those that he loved. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Well, he did that on the earth. One of the things that may be going on in the presence of the Lord right now is the Lord himself being the teacher to his own. That's what I meant when I said that. That's what Isaiah was talking about. Here's the fulfillment of the things strange in your understanding that Daniel spoke about, but here's what that means. Going back to Moses and the Psalms and all the prophets, and they said, were not our hearts burning within us? Folks, listen, that place called heaven is not a state of intellectual, mental numbness. It is, a, it is a state, it is a place where things come alive in sus, inside us that only God could ignite. And it's joy and not, and not cruelty and not restriction and punishment and condemnation. Those things are all, this is about understanding the depth of the heart of God. You, but to some of those who preceded us and you know, and that love the word in this life, love to study, love to be taught, couldn't get enough of God's word. Heaven, heaven is just graduate school on steroids for the servant of the Lord who loves the word of God, that God himself, the Lord Jesus himself, opened the scriptures to them. And then they, you know, you, they, verse 33, they, they rose that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them and saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. That's what the ones in the room were saying. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And our, our guide years ago in, in, in Israel, is, um, the several tours that we took over there were taking groups. This one particular guide was born in Israel and, and uh, native and had fought in three of the wars and so forth. Not at that time was necessarily a believer in Jesus, though he could quote more of the New Testament than, than um, I've heard many uh, do in their lifetime. But I've heard since that very likely he has come to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord. But I remember him talking. We were at, we were at Emmaus. What they thought was, was the place where this could have happened. And there was, a, there was an old church that had been built there centuries ago. 
But, but here, here's what he did. He, he, he said, he, he, he imitated the, the, the breaking of the bread in this Emmaus passage and then the giving it to the, to the two disciples. And he had his sleeves down like this. And he said, a breaking of the bread. And then when he extended his hand, he said, watch my sleeves. And his sleeves came up and he said that he believes that that's when the two disciples saw the wounds in his wrist, and they knew that it was Jesus who had been crucified. And their eyes met his eyes, and he vanished from their sight. Oh, my goodness, I get chills just kind of thinking about that now. You, you just, what, 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 if, what if we still had our bodies, you know, but, but not, not, not crippled up by the diseases that, that sin ultimately can cause in, in our lives down here or, 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 or crippled by, by wounds and pain and age. What if, what if all that's gone? But we still have our bodies. We still got two legs. We still got two arms. We still got eyes. We still have a voice. But we just be in one place one minute and be gone the next. Any spot in the universe where the head of personnel decides we need to be to carry out his mission and his assignment. Some folks say, well, I, I think this seems to talks about there's this, there's this great cavern, this great gap, this, and it's spoken of that, that how can those, Jesus in telling the parable of the, of the rich man and the, and the poor man Lazarus and, and there, there's death and there's this, there's this inseparable chasm between Lazarus's brothers who had died and gone on and himself. And he said, I can't go to them and they can't come to me because of this gap. But what if, what if that was about more of a reference to unbelievers in hell than it is believers in heaven. Because you read Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9 and the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus, on his way to the cross, was up on a mountain praying, and you remember that story. Peter, James, and John were there with him, and they had gone to sleep, and all of a sudden they awakened, and the mountain was just, was just full of light, the top of them full of light, full of glory. And they looked and they saw Jesus in his glory. And, and, the, and the word there is, it speaks of a radiational light, not, not that it was a light shining on him, but it was, it was this radiance from within, this, this glow from within. And in his presence were Moses and Elijah. Moses had never been in the promised land until then. Remember that? He couldn't go in. Joshua led the people in. Moses and Elijah, and they were there to encourage Jesus, to encourage Jesus. I, I, I believe that it's, it's very possible for the Lord to send from the Father's house back into this world, back into our lives should the occasion need to be for us, someone we've known before. They're not dead. They're not just a name on a tombstone. They are alive, full of life, no weakness, marked by power that God could choose to send them back.
or mission. Now, I know some of you think I'm crazy, but I, I may be crazy as a loon, but I, there, there have been a couple times, one is a brother, one's a sister, a part of Alamo City for years and years and years, a part of the fabric, the heart of this church. And I'm going to tell you, I have felt as if I saw them in this place, in this building. Not every Sunday, not every time we've met together. I've mentioned one of them is old Billy Hobbs. Y'all remember, many of you remember Billy. Hobbs used to walk the back back there. And, and, and he, you know, he couldn't sing worth a hoot. He just, he just ripped every song to shreds, but he loved a joyful noise. And so we'd get, get Billy, find yourself and just go for it. But, you know, by yourself. But, but he, would, he, he, would, he would walk and he would pray. He couldn't sit still long. He'd been a football player, had all these kind of things that he was sore and stiff. And, but he would, while I was preaching, many, many, many Sundays, he would, he would walk the back walls back there. And he'd do this. You know, he'd just, well, he'd just, just pray. So I, I'm telling you, I feel like there was one Sunday when just out of the corner of my eye, I look back there and I, I thought, there's, there's Billy. There's Billy. Now, I, I can't tell you for sure that that happened, but here's what happened when I sensed that. It wasn't that I was freaked out. It wasn't that I was spooked. It was like he was one of those in that great cloud of witnesses encouraging us on. Saying, preach it. He would say, preach it, preacher. Preach it. He, he would pray. He would pray, Lord, I just ask you to give my brother David the joy of the pulpit. The joy, which would mean joy would come out, I think, but it would be that I'd just love it. I'd just love being able to preach. And I do, and I believe he answered that prayer. So we've we, we got to be careful when we, when we isolate heaven and where those we love and we know they're in the presence of Jesus and we just say that they've got to be there and there's, and there's no crossing of the two. What do you do with Hebrews 12? What do you do with Luke 9 and Mark 9 where Moses and Elijah showed up to encourage Jesus himself before he went to the cross? How different, but also how similar. How different it's going to be but how similar it's going to be. Number five on that list is how wonderful. You know, we use that word, wonderful. Sometimes it helps to take apart a word and, and, and take what is the suffix and make it the prefix. Full of wonder. Something that's wonderful is full of wonder, amazement beyond our ability to fully grasp, but not in the dark side, but in the bright side and the full of the sense of amazing good. John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples before he leaves them. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many places to live. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now that's the stating it negatively. The positive side of that same coin is all who come through me make it to the Father. But 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 what what about this this wonder? Look, look at verse two again. In my father's house are many dwelling places. The King James that we've grown up with, a lot of us, many mansions, many mansions, many mansions. Now that may be the way it is. They may be separately located mansions, created just like you'd want a garden to look like and what you'd like the front of that house to look like. But the literal take from the words Jesus used in my father's great big house, There are many places to live. In other words, the father saying, I want my children together. I want my family together. And there'll be enough room. We won't be stacked on top of each other. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. But the, it, it, this sort of runs contrary to some of what We've come up with an, an Annabella mansion here and a Mediterranean one here and a in my father's house. There are many places to live. So that, so that we won't have to look far to see the ones we've missed. We, we won't have to go to the other side of glory to connect with somebody that our hearts broke over the loss of. In my father's house, there are many places to live. And he, and he emphasized, if it, if it were not so, if it wasn't like that, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. A lot has been made over that statement. He, you know, he... He's been working on that place for 2,000 years. You know, go, I go to prepare a place for you. To me, the thing that's the, every bit as 
significant as that. The Lord doesn't take the Lord long to do what he wants to do. It, it just he spoke and the world, the creation happened. But, but I go to prepare a place for you. It's, it's not you singular. It's you plural. I know every one of you. I know when you'll be going to my father's house. When you get there, you'll have the sense that a room, an area, a place in the father's house was set up just for you. Who you are is known in glory. And I'm going to prepare to make ready, to make ready a place, a place for you. Now, another thing that's very important, I go to prepare a place for you. The word for place is the word, that we get the word topography from. Topos is the Greek word. It means a literal place, like, like Gethsemane was a literal place. Like where John baptized in the Jordan River was a literal place. Like Jericho was a literal place. Like the cave of Adullam that David hid in, a literal place. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a real place. It's got definite geography. It's not just a state of mind, hallelujah, it is an improved state of mind, but that sells far short the full wonder of this place called heaven. It's not just a state of mind, it's not just a wish for, hope for. Jesus spoke of this in terms that those who heard him would realize he's talking about a real location, a real place. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am there you may be also. I will come again and receive you unto myself. There, there, will, be, there will be many comings of the Lord Jesus to this earth, and please don't Please don't call me a heretic. There, there, is, there is the one great consummate second coming of the Lord, absolutely. And, and all the prophecies related to that event will, will take place. But what if here Jesus is saying, when it's time for you to go to my father's house, I'm not sending Gabriel I'm not sending Moses. I'm not even sending somebody you know and you loved who's gone before you. I'm coming myself. I'm coming. And I will pick you up. And got to receive means to, to, to take up and gather in. It's the picture of this massive embrace. I'll receive you. Unto myself. Unto myself. I'm coming. I've lost count of the ones. 
who in the last moments of this life, in and out of a coma-like condition, on the day of their death, one of the most recent, Irma Camarillo, Robert's dear wife, on the day of her going to meet the Lord, she, she just lifted her hands and reached up as if someone was coming for What does a child do? My grandmother on my mother's side, same story, Jackson, Mississippi, spending the night with a friend, stroke, something, headache, something, but she was, she was not conscious. They had not been able to, but all of a sudden, She just lifted up her hand like that. Now those who knew my mama the best knew the one place she wanted to be, the one person she wanted to be with the most was her Jesus. And, and there was just a sense that he came for her. Jesus came for her. And she wanted to meet him. We're not even scratching the surface significantly on how wonderful this place called heaven can be. There's one other point of certainty, and it's how to get there. How to get there. John 14, 6. I am the way, Jesus said. We don't know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? The answer was back to the disciples. The only thing you need to be concerned about is that you are putting your trust in me. I am the way. When the time comes for you, I will come and get you. I will take you to the place that's being prepared for you. I am the way. I am the way. Jesus. You know, I, 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 you know over the years, for 40 years or so of, of being in the ministry, I, I'll have folks that somebody has, you know, has, is, is deceased and has gone on, and, and they're, they're, they're wanting me to brag on what a, what, you know, what a great Catholic they were. What an awesome Baptist. What an outstanding American they were. If any of those names and any we could add to the list were a substitute for Jesus Christ's death on the cross, then the death of Jesus on the cross was the greatest waste in all of human history. There is no other way than a personal faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we, along with that, you know, our wrapper, our package may not, may not be, it may not be all without blemish, you know. I mean, there may, there may be some, some things that where we've missed it big time, and might be, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to who am I trusting, what am I trusting in to get me from Bear County to the Father's house? 
if I'm able to say, my trust, my hope is in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. I'm believing that he died in my place. He was my savior. That by his grace, this sinner, this sinner has been forgiven, has been saved. How do we get there? They're not 40 million options. Jesus. 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 You say, that's incredibly narrow. The death on the cross was incredibly narrow. You say, that's not very very politically correct. Did Jesus worry about political correctness in his day? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He offered that as good news. He offered that with his arms wide open as he died on that cross. Amen. Heaven is a real place. If my if my, my, my mom grew up a race, she we grew up with her getting ready to go to church on Sunday morning. Sunday after Sunday, she would wake up, get to piano, and just start singing these songs about heaven. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. When we all get to heaven, (laughs) what a day of rejoicing that will be. I I grew up with that being stirred up in my heart. Down here there can be trouble. Down here there will be difficulty. Down here it can be long and hard. But there is a day coming. When we'll close our eyes in death here, but we'll open our eyes the next second into the face of the one who is coming to get us and take us to the rest of eternity in a place that has been prepared for us. I won't be having to stand in a line and show them a social security number and fill in the blanks. He'd been preparing a place for me and for you. All right, I've quit preaching and gone to meddling there a little bit, I guess. But listen, Lord, we thank you for this place called heaven. We bless you for the reality that you, you spoke of it in terms that, that we can get, we, we can appreciate. But Lord, will you, will you give us the ability, not just for those thoughts and truths to be a mental concept, but Lord, may they be something that just warms our hearts and steadies our steps and fills us with a sense of solid hope of who we have, who we are in Christ and what we have in Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.